Good morning. It is great to see you all. This is in the wrong spot. Okay. Sorry, folks online. I had to move things around. All right. Well, good morning. <laughs> good to see you here in person. Online, folks, I'm glad you're with us today as well. Um, Jesus. Jesus. He's our guy. And one of the most beautiful, one of the most powerful stories Jesus told was that of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10. You've got this Jewish guy that gets robbed, beaten. He's lying half dead on the side of the road. And a Jewish priest, a Levite, they just walk on by. It's a Samaritan. A Samaritan. That was an enemy in that time. That would be like a Palestinian today stops and takes care of this Jewish guy. Jesus gives a powerful example of how to love our enemies. Of course, Jesus then goes on to the cross and drives the point home when it comes to loving our enemies. If Jesus is our guy, we can't escape his command to love our enemies. Jesus said, you have heard that it is said, love your enemies, excuse, oh, no. you have heard what it is said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the good, on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are, you, are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So, how are we doing at loving our enemies? It's hard, right? I mean, love our enemies like God loves his enemies? <laughs> it's darn right impossible. Just, just look at our own lives. Look at, look at the church in America today. We kind of stink at loving our enemies. Mo most, most folks, we're just ignoring what Jesus says about loving our enemies. Yet, it's not impossible. No, from Stephen in Acts 7, through Corey ten Boone and the Nazis, followers of Jesus have loved their enemies. They've, they've become more like Jesus in this way. With God's help, you and I, we can do this. We can come to life in this beautiful way. Today, today, we're going to look at lament and how lament is a way that God's given us to process our anger and hatred with him so that we can go on to truly love our enemies. Lament is a bridge to loving our enemies. It's a bridge to God's love. Now, let's be clear from the start. The, the goal, the destination is loving our enemies. Lament is the process. It's the bridge to get there. So a couple weeks ago, Becca, she gave us uh, uh, like lament for dummies, okay? Four simple steps. It was tur uh, turn, complain, ask, trust. And so we're going to keep it simple today, and we're going to use those steps. So first off, turn. We need to turn to God in order to Lament our enemies. 
problem is, most of us, we don't think we have enemies. Enemies? No, I don't have any enemies. Nope, nope, no enemies at all. When it, when it comes to loving our enemies, we are drowning in denial, and it's not a river in Egypt. Yeah, if we're going to actually take Jesus' command seriously and love our enemies, we're going to have to turn to God and confess the fact that we actually have enemies, like actual people. Yeah, folks that we're angry at, folks that, that we want revenge or retribution at. And sure, this can be petty disagreements or slights, or, or maybe Biden or Trump is your enemy. It's someone you don't even know. Or maybe we're angry because something horrible has happened. Some injustice has been done. Maybe, maybe it's because of sexual abuse of children or it's cover-up. Or, or maybe it's because of hurtful discrimination in this world. Maybe it's because of some kind of betrayal, right? Marriage vows being broken. Or, or maybe it's hypocrisy. Jesus, he got mad about that one, right? People, they lie, they cheat, they steal, they hurt us. They hurt the people we love. Can we turn to God and confess that we have enemies? I tell you, the folks in the Bible could. In the Psalms, you bet, they, they could do this. David, King David, that guy had some enemies and he wasn't shy at calling them out in the Psalms that he wrote to God, right? From, from King Saul to the Philistines to his own son Absalom, people were trying to kill David. You know, there's the, this rabbinic tradition that at one time when they, Saul tries to kill David and David narrowly escapes, this is in 1 Samuel 19, after that, David writes Psalm 58. And it is this cold-blooded prayer for vengeance. Break the teeth in their mouths, O God. Lord, tear out the fangs of these lions. Let, let them vanish like water that flows away. When they draw the bow, let their arrows fall short. May they, like a slug, may they be like a slug that melts away as it moves along, like a stillborn child that never sees the, sun's, sees the sun. The righteous will be glad when they are avenged, when they dip their feet in the blood of the wicked." Yeah, David was super honest about having enemies. You can also check out Psalm 35, 109. There's lots of these angry psalms, like Psalm 69. May the table set before them become a snare. May it become retribution and a trap. May they, their eyes be darkened so they cannot see, and their backs be bent forever. Pour out your wrath on them. Let your fierce anger overtake them. May their place be deserted. Let there be, no one, let, let, let there be no one to dwell in their tents. For they persecuted those you wounded and talk about the pain of those you hurt. Charge them with crime upon crime. Do not let them share in your salvation. May they be blotted out of the book of life and not be listed with the righteous." Oh, and this isn't just a David thing. 
Like 400 years later, the Babylonians come, they brutalize the Israelites, the Jews, they carry them off into captivity, and the psalmist turns to God and confesses that he's got an enemy. This is Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remember Zion. There on the poplars, we hung our harps, for there our captors asked us, to, asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. The Babylonians are taunting the Israelites here. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy, remember, Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. When the Babylonians were destroying Jerusalem, their neighbors, the Israelites' neighbors, the Edomites, came and cheered for the Babylonians to tear it down. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction, Happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. Yeah, back then when a conquering army came in, they would take babies out of the arms of moms and dash them against the rocks. Here he's praying, God, let this happen to the Babylonians like it happened to us. Happy days when their babies get dashed. All right. Um, these are pretty harsh and dark psalms. Many of us didn't even know this kind of stuff was in the Bible. We don't tend to read it, to talk about it in church because it seems wrong, like a contradiction, right? Jesus is telling us to love our enemies, and aren't they here doing pretty much the opposite? They're cursing their enemies. These are called, by smart Bible people, imprecatory psalms. And imprecatory is just a fancy word for calling down curses. Curses! In James, it says, out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Yeah, it should not be. I mean, it was, is this just a mistake? Did, did these psalms get into the Bible by accident? Like, oops. Or could it just be like, maybe it's like a timing thing, right? These psalms, they come from the Old Testament. The eye for the eye battle days. And now Jesus has come and he's told us to love our enemies. We ignore these psalms. Do we ignore them because they're just outdated, right? They're harsh and they're embarrassing, but we should just skip over them and move on to Jesus and his love. Problem is, Jesus doesn't skip them. He doesn't ignore them. He's not embarrassed by them. In Luke 10, or excuse me, in Luke 19, Jesus is thinking, he's talking about Psalm 137. And Psalm 69, Psalm 69 gets quoted seven times in the New Testament. Apostle Paul in Romans, 
Apostle John talks about how Jesus references it in his own life, Psalm 69. What gives? How do we deal with these harsh, imprecatory psalms? We need to not mistake the destination for the journey. Again, loving our enemies is the goal. It is the destination. Lament is the process. It's the bridge that gets us there. You see the difference there? Michael Card, in his beautiful book, Sacred Sorrow, says, Understand, imprecatory laments are not some sort of vicious didactic means by which we learn how to curse our enemies. They represent an invitation to the beginning of a process in which first we admit that we have enemies. So, you and me, can we turn to God now and can we say, God, yeah, I have enemies. There's people in, in the world, they are my enemy. These folks are my enemies. Right now, just tell God the names. Just tell him, yep, I got enemies. Because God, I, I want to be more like you. I want to be transformed to be like Jesus. So first step, bridge of the lament, God, I can tell you, I could admit that I have enemies. Okay, back to uh, lament for dummies. First, we turn to God. Then we complain. And boy, to these so, these these ugly, angry psalms in the Bible, they have complaints in them. They sure do. Now, us modern folks, we don't like to do this. Really, what, what the Bible is calling us to do is to own our anger and our lament for our enemies, to own it, right? Again, we don't like to do that. Michael Card, he also writes, we are a people in perpetual denial of the hidden hate we have for our enemies. Jesus showed us that hatred is a wound that must be healed, that denial is a paralysis only he can heal. Without lament, these wounds continue to fester. The longer they are denied, the more gangrenous they become. And we come by this denial honestly. We do. In our culture, it's not okay to be angry. I cannot tell you how many times my wife has asked me and I have responded with, no, honey, I'm not angry. I'm just dot, dot, dot. No, I can't be angry. We, we don't get angry. That's not what we do. Sometimes I fall into a more liberal trap of thinking. I see injustice, I see mistreatment in this world, and I think, well, I can't get angry. It's just a matter of perspective, right? You know, one person's terrorist is another person's freedom fighter. Like, this world is just so complex. That's just a way to push away our anger by denying that there is evil, real evil in this world. Or other times, I fall into a more conservative trap of thinking. I think, you know what, I am good, I am going to heaven because I am a good person and, and I am virtuous, right? God blesses me because I am so good. And you know good, virtuous people, they don't get angry, no. So I can't be angry, no, I'm okay, I am fine. You see, that's a giant ball of denial with a gooey little center of legalism. 
what I'm doing, what we do, is instead of getting angry, I either deny that the world is evil or I deny that there's evil in me. Either way. No, honey, I'm not angry. I'm just dot, dot, dot. Hey, we can be angry. It's okay to own it. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4.26, he says, be angry and do not sin. He doesn't say don't be angry. Because to, to stifle, to hold in our anger, to push it down, it's not healthy. It just makes us cynical. Be angry and do not sin. In Psalm 137, the psalmist is angry for what happened in to, in, from when the Babylonians showed up, the, the way the babies were killed, the destruction of Jerusalem. He is infuriated. And then the way the Edomites, the neighbors, they cheer on the destruction. It is maddening. And now in captivity in Babylon, the way they are taunted and the injustice against them, it is infuriating. He is angry and he stays in his anger and he owns it. What about us? When what's good is under attack, when what's good is under attack, like Jesus, we should get angry and we should own it. I'm angry about sexual abuse and its cover-up. How, how, how can you do something like that to children and just like pretend it's okay? It's infuriating. I am angry about racism and prejudice. I mean, just look at the numbers, the prison statistics. Our, racial, our criminal justice system is broken. It is infuriating. I am angry about the wars in this world today. I mean, innocent civilians killed and maimed, the, the shedding of innocent blood. Why? I mean, my, my father's family endured the horrors of war. They were refugees to this country. And those, the pain of that goes deep. My grandfather never got over it. He ended up killing himself. It's infuriating. I am angry at myself. My impatience, my pride, my, my going through the motions instead of going to Jesus. I am my worst enemy when it comes to following Jesus. And it's infuriating. What about you? What are you angry about? Can you own it? Okay. If we can own our anger, then what do we do with it? <laughs> we don't want to get stuck in complaining. Okay, the, the next step for Lament for Dummies is we go from complaining to asking. And we definitely see this in these imprecatory psalms. They ask for some crazy stuff, for God to do some horrible stuff. They do. And it's not there to teach us how to best curse our enemies. Nope. It's there to show us that we're not supposed to just stuff our anger. If we stuff it down inside, it will eat us away. And we're also not supposed to just vent our anger on the world, you know, post it all on social media. Nope. No. These psalms show us the way that we press into actually loving our enemies is that we need to take our anger and we need to pray. Pray. 
We need to pray our anger and our hate for our enemies. In Psalm 137, right? He's not stifling his anger. The psalmist is letting God have it. He's telling him what he's angry about. He's telling God what he would want, what would make him happy. And he's also not taking his anger and just sharing it with his, you know, family and friends and neighbors and coworkers, whoever will listen to him be word about it. No. He's not. He's taking it to God. He's praying it. I don't know about you, but far too often I don't take this stuff to God in prayer. No. I'll try to take my anger and, and stuff it, maybe kick the dog and just get over it. Or... I'll, I'll try to find some unsuspecting human and vent the anger on them. And I'll tell you, and if, when I do that, it doesn't take me any closer to loving my enemies. Have you been there? But there are times where I've seen this process actually work in my life. Years ago, um, I was involved in a pretty bitter conflict. There were people who wanted to hurt me. <laughs> they did. They were, they, were, they were after me. I tried to make something better, and I paid for it big time. And that hurt, it, it made me angry. There, I admit it. It made me angry. Now, I was pretty clueless about lament then. I didn't know that. Um, but I, uh, in Duluth here, you might know this, the winters are long. Yeah, the winters are long, and I do enjoy a good steam shower. So I would sit alone in the steam shower and pray. And my prayers basically consisted of me telling God how I wanted to get back at these people. I would give him all my plots for revenge, what we should do to, to make them pay. And surprisingly, God, he never cut me off. He just listened as I poured out my anger and my hate to him. And often when I would get out of the steam shower, a lot of that anger and hate would stay there, in there with God. And each time, I'd kind of step back and I'd just shake my head and go, we're not going to do any of that. None of those curses, none of that, those things I'm thinking up, we're not doing any of that. And we'll get to that change of heart in a minute. But first, I need to say that in that steam shower, pouring out my anger and my hate to God, it felt wrong. And in a way, it was wrong. You know, when we lament, we pray things that aren't true, but they sure feel true. Like, God, God, why have you abandoned me? He hasn't abandoned me. It's not true. But it feels true. Here, with my enemies, I was telling God things that, that I thought should happen, that would be fair to happen, like this would be justice, God. But I knew God wasn't going to do them. This is an important part of the process, right? It's a process. Again, God has given us this way for us to process our anger and our hate with him so that we can truly love our enemies, so that we can truly love them. I love the way that Michael Card describes how this worked for David. He says, David's imprecatory laments represent a worshipful offering up to God of what would otherwise be considered an unacceptable offering his hatred. Through lament in general, 
we bring to God our fears and frustrations, our pains and hopelessness. All these were seen by some, like Job's friends, to be unworthy offerings. God nevertheless encourages us in his word to offer them up as by means of lament. What makes the imprecatory laments laments is that they represent our offering God the unacceptable offering of our bitterest hatred of our enemies. That is deep. That's surrender. That's worshiping God with everything we've got. And that is super cool. But I didn't know about any of that in the steam shower. See, this bridge of lament, it works even if you don't understand how it works or how beautiful it is. It works because when our emotion gets us to take our anger and hatred to God, we're going to God. And in his presence, in God's presence, our emotions change. See, we're taking our reality. It is real for us that we are angry and full of hate. And that's our reality is coming against God's reality. And things change. They do. And that takes us to our next point with lament for dummies. The next step in lament is that we trust. We trust. And we see this in the imprecatory psalms. These angry psalmists, they limit their anger. Really what we need to do is we need to hand over our enemies to God. Now, I get that that might be hard to see in Psalm 137. Yeah, (laughs) with all the baby dashing that's going on, the happy baby dashing, yeah, it's hard to see that he's limiting his anger. Some smart Bible people, commentators, they've said that you can see Psalm 137 as like a criminal trial. The psalmist, he like swears himself in and then he gives some evidence against the Babylonians and then he suggests a sentence, a punishment for them. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction. Happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. Now, as harsh as that sounds, and it is harsh, It is a call for simple justice. Now, it's not the way of Jesus. No, we're called to love our enemies, to give them better than what they deserved. But this here, this is not crazy talk, right? He's saying just give them what they did to us, no more, no less. It's a call for simple fairness. And, and this and is super important. This is a call to God, for God to act, for him to act. If we just back up one verse, back to verse 17, he says in the psalm, remember, Lord, what the Edomites did. Remember, back when this was written in Hebrew, remember back then, it didn't just mean to like recall, like, ooh, I remember that. No, remember was a word that was used as a call to action. We see this over and over again in the Old Testament. God says, I will remember my covenant with Abraham. God's not saying I'm going to make a giant yellow post-it note and I'm going to post it on the side of my throne. Oh yeah, I remember. I have a covenant with Abraham. Good, I didn't forget. No, when God says, I'll remember my covenant with Abraham, he's saying I'm going to act on that covenant. Here, the psalmist, 137, he's calling on God to act, 
to bring justice, to do something about this. He's calling on God to act. It's actually extraordinary what's not, not in Psalm 137. Back then, in that time in history, what would have been totally appropriate for a reaction to what had happened, the babies being killed in Jerusalem, would be for the psalmist to take a vow, to make a promise for him himself to get vengeance. A promise like, I will not sleep, I will not eat, I will not drink until I have dashed their babies into the ground, until we have vengeance. None of that. Nope. Because he's taking his enemy and he's asking God, the ultimate judge, to bring vengeance. He's handing over his enemy, the Babylonians, to God. You see that in the psalm? Even David, King David. Now, David was a, he was like a fierce warrior. Remember, Saul kills his thousands, David kills his ten thousands. David could get revenge. But you know, we have no historical evidence that all of these people that David calls out in his imprecatory psalms, all these angry psalms where he's complaining about people and calling out to God, we don't have any evidence that he took vengeance against a single one of them. None. It looks like he turned over all of those enemies to God. Even his nemesis, Saul. When Saul commits suicide, David doesn't gloat No, he writes a beautiful, a sad lament with not a drop of bitterness in it. How? It's because David, he he hadn't let Saul's hatred for him, or even more importantly, David hadn't let his hatred for Saul control his life. He had owned that hatred, that anger, and he had prayed it to God, and he had taken his enemy, Saul, and he had handed him over to God. Here you go, God. And David was free. Do do you see how this works? David actually believed that vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 32, and that takes trust. Now, what are we trusting in? John Piper, he's the pastor down in the Twin Cities. He writes this about Psalm 69 that we read before. The main thing to say is that we do not take the imprecations as encouragements or incentives to curse our enemies. Okay, they're not instructions to do that. Um, In fact, in Paul's mind, the Psalm takes us to the exact opposite direction. Paul quotes the psalm in Romans 15, 3 to encourage us to deny ourselves rather than to gratify the lust for revenge. Quote, Christ did not please himself, but but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. In other words, forbear, forgive, forgive. But this is not because there is no wrath no punishment, no judgment in Psalm 69. It is is precisely because there is judgment and it is not our business to execute. The fact that God will do it and that it is right for him to do it is the very means by which we are able to follow Jesus in suffering for the sake of those who have wronged us. 
This is the bridge to loving our enemies. Do you see how this works? David in Psalm 69, the psalmist in Psalm 137, they can call out to God, God, aren't you gonna do something? You, something has to be done about this. Something has to be done about the Jewish babies that were killed by the Babylonians. And God's gonna say, yes, absolutely. I'm going to make them pay. I will. Or Jesus my son, he was dashed against the rock. He'll pay, just like he paid for your sins on the cross. There will be judgment and justice, absolutely. You see, when we lament our enemies, when we go across the bridge of lament, we get to God's complete judgment and his undeserved love. That's what we see on the cross. You see it even in the, these laments. In Psalm 109, David wrote, but you, sovereign Lord, help me for your namesake. Out of the goodness of your love, your love deliver me. Help me, Lord, my God. Save me according to your unfailing love. This is David in another very dark, <laughs> very grim psalm pointing out, even as he's calling down curses, that he's encountering God's love. As we've said before in this series on lament, when we go across the bridge of lament, we come into God's presence and we experience his love, his incredible love. So, for us, here and now, will we use lament, this way that God has given us to process our anger and our hatred for our enemies? Will we walk across this bridge of lament? Will we? First step, we're gonna have to admit that we actually have enemies. We're gonna have to confess, yep, I got enemies. We do, we do. We have enemies. And we're going to have to take that anger and hate and own it and give it to God. All of our revenge fantasies, we just hand them over to God. Can we take all of that anger and hate and pray it to God? And when we take it and when we give it to Jesus, he accepts it. And let me tell you, as we draw close to Jesus to do this, what we see is his hands and his feet and the nail holes there. And what we see in that is that there is justice. God insists on complete justice. That's what put Jesus on the cross, is the need for justice. And what we see in Jesus on the cross is that there is love and forgiveness. Love and forgiveness for us, for us. And I will tell you, it is from that place, that place, that we can actually, for real, love our enemies. That we can come to life in that beautiful way. Are we gonna walk across that bridge? Tell you what, let's take some steps on it. Why don't you stand up with me now, and we'll move into ministry time. This is a time where we talk to God, we interact with him on the things we've been talking about. So I invite you to do that now to interact with the living God. So, Holy Spirit, come. 
Lord Jesus, I welcome you here now with your justice and with your love. Come. And you know, God, this, this starts out with us admitting that we have enemies. So Holy Spirit, I ask right now that you come and you just shine your light of truth into our hearts and highlight the people that we're angry with. Highlight the person that you would have us love. Lord, that could be lots of people. I mean, maybe that is a person who has sexually abused children or who has covered that up. Lord, I know in my own life, my uncle was a pedophile, and for years, I had revenge fantasies about castrating him. And so, God, I give you all that, but I admit that that is an enemy. For many of us, it's family members. It's mom, dad, brother, sister, aunt, uncle, children. It's people we're close to, former friends. Maybe, maybe it's a former spouse, an ex. Or it's the person that stole our ex. Who is our enemy? Dial that up, Lord Jesus, for us right now. Maybe it's a boss, a, a coworker, a, a teacher, a professor. Lord, dial that up. Maybe it is Trump or Biden. I don't know. Whoever that enemy is that God would have you focus on right now, see that person in your mind, in your heart the person that he's calling you to actually love. But let's not forget the process, the bridge of lament. First, we gotta own that anger, that hatred, and we need to pray it. So even right now, like these ugly, dark psalms, turn to God and tell him that you're angry. Tell him about what you'd like to see happen to that person. And I know that feels wrong in church right now. It does. I, I get it. It feels wrong to tell God, oh, I'd like to see them pay. But we're telling God. We're not posting it on social media. We're not burying it in our own hearts. We're not stuffing it. We're not pretending it doesn't exist. We're giving it to God, to Jesus. And again, as we give it to Jesus, oh, see his smiling face. See the holes in his hands and his feet. What he did for justice. Someone will pay for that. Someone will pay. Let his love flood into your heart. Let that be the starting place for loving our enemies. Come, Lord Jesus. This is hard work, Jesus. I admit that. It is hard work in me. It is hard work in each of us. And yet, Jesus, you are so clear that you want us to shine like the sun in this way. You want to make us beautiful as we love our enemies. I do ask, Lord, that you bring us to life in this very beautiful way. Lord, let us be individuals. Let us be a church where we actually love our enemies. We don't talk about it. We don't just say, oh, yeah, that's what Jesus said. No, we actually do it for real. Lord, let today be a big first step in that direction. Come, Lord Jesus, come. All right, I'm gonna invite the ministry team to come forward. And I'm guessing that some of you are having problems with this. 
Some of you are stuck back on the imprecatory Psalms, and why the heck is that in the Bible? If you're having problems with any of this, I would really invite you to come forward and let someone pray for you. Let someone help you to, to admit that you have enemies or to, to turn that anger over to God or to see Jesus on the cross and experience his incredible love so you can hand your enemies over. Wouldn't it be amazing to leave here today free from that enemy in your life? To have given them to God? The kind of freedom that David experienced, the psalmist experienced, you can have that. Stay, they're gonna lead us in some more worship. Come up and get some prayer. And really, if there's anything you need prayer for in your life, if you need physical healing, you're struggling in relationships or finances, or if you just wanna celebrate with someone today what God's doing in your life, get some prayer before you go. I'm just gonna invite you to slow down and let God continue to work in you. Thanks for coming to the Vineyard.